Hello there. This is White Ashflies with Colin Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Tonight, we're serving you your Tuesday spleen in the shape of two poems by Jonathan Swift. The first, a pastoral dialogue. The second, a selection from Verses on the Death of Dr. Swift. You can find White Ashflies and older episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud, and on Twitter at Colin Mahoney 15. And now, two poems by Jonathan Swift on White Ashflies. A Pastoral Dialogue Dermot, Sheila A nymph and swain, Sheila and Dermot hight, who want to weed the court of Gosford Knight, while each with stubbed knife removed the roots that raised between the stones their daily shoots. As at their work they sat in counterview, with mutual beauty smit, their passion grew. Sing, heavenly muse, in sweetly flowing strain, the soft endearments of the nymph and swain. Dermot My love to Sheila is more firmly fixed than strongest weeds that grow these stones betwixt. My spud these nettles from the stones can part, no knife so keen to weed thee from my heart. Sheila My love for gentle Dermot faster grows than yon tall dock that rises to thy nose. Cut down the dock, twill sprout again. But, oh, love rooted out, again will never grow. Dermot No more that briar thy tender leg shall rake. I spare the thistle for Sir Arthur's sake. Sharp are the stones. Take thou this rushy mat. The hardest bum will bruise with sitting squat. Sheila Thy breeches torn behind Stand gaping wide. This petticoat shall save thy dear backside. Nor need I blush, Although you feel it wet. Dermot, I vow, tis nothing else but sweat. Dermot An old stubborn root I chanced to tug when the dean threw me this tobacco plug. A longer half-perth never did I see. This, dearest Sheila, thou shalt share with me. Sheila In at the pantry door this morn I slipped, and from the shelf a charming crust I whipped. Dennis was out, and I got hither safe, and thou, my dear, shalt have the bigger half. Dermot When you saw Tady at long bullets play, you sat and loused him all the sunshine day. How could you, Sheila, listen to his tales, or crack such lice as his betwixt your nails. Sheila, when you with Una stood behind a ditch, 
I peeped and saw you kiss the dirty bitch. Dermot, how could you touch those nasty sluts? I almost wished this spud were in your guts. Dermot, if Una once I kissed, forbear to chide. Her aunt's my gossip by my father's side. But if I ever touch her lips again, may I be doomed for life to weed in rain. Sheila, Dermot, I swear, though Tady's locks could hold ten thousand lice, and every louse was gold, him on my lap you never more should see, or may I lose my weeding knife, and thee. Dermot, oh, could I earn for thee, my lovely lass, a pair of brogues to bear thee dry to mass. But see, where Nora with the Sowens comes, then let us rise and rest our weary bums. From Verses on the Death of Dr. Swift, lines 73 through 164. The time is not remote when I must by the course of nature die, when I foresee my special friends will try to find their private ends, though it is hardly understood which way my death can do them good. Yet thus methinks I hear him speak. See how the dean begins to break. Poor gentleman, he droops apace. You plainly find it in his face. That old vertigo in his head will never leave him till he's dead. Besides, his memory decays. He recollects not what he says. He cannot call his friends to mind. Forgets the place where last he dined. Plies you with stories o'er and o'er. He told them fifty times before. How does he fancy we can sit To hear his out-of-fashioned wit? But he takes up with younger folks, Who, for his wine, will bear his jokes. Faith, he must make his stories shorter, Or change his comrades once a quarter. In half the time he talks them round, There must another set be found. For poetry, he's past his prime, He takes an hour to find a rhyme. His fire is out, his wit decayed, His fancy sunk, his muse a jade. I'd have him throw away his pen, But there's no talking to some men. And then their tenderness appears, by adding largely to my years. He's older than he would be reckoned, and well remembers Charles the Second. He hardly drinks a pint of wine, and that, I doubt, is no good sign. His stomach, too, begins to fail. Last year we thought him strong and hale, but now he's quite another thing. I wish he may hold out till spring. Then hug themselves, and reason thus. It is not yet so bad with us. In such a case they talk in tropes, 
and by their fears express their hopes. Some great misfortune to portend, no enemy can match a friend. With all the kindness they profess, the merit of a lucky guess, when daily howdies come of course, and servants answer, worse and worse, would please em better than to tell that, God be praised, the dean is well. Then he who prophesied the best approves his foresight to the rest. You know I always feared the worst, and often told you so at first. He'd rather choose that I should die than his prediction prove a lie. Not one foretells I shall recover, but all agree to give me over. Yet should some neighbor feel a pain just in the parts where I complain, how many a message would he send, what hearty prayers that I should mend, inquire what regimen I kept, what gave me ease and how I slept, and more lament when I was dead than all the snivelers round my bed. My good companions, never fear, for though you may mistake a year, though your prognostics run too fast, they must be verified at last. Behold, the fatal day arrive. How is the dean? He's just alive. Now the departing prayer is read. He hardly breathes. The dean is dead. Before the passing bell begun, the news through half the town is run. Oh, may we all for death prepare. What has he left? And who's his heir? I know no more than what the news is. Tis all bequeathed to public uses. To public use? A perfect whim. What had the public done for him? Mere envy, avarice, and pride. He gave it all. But first he died. And had the dean in all the nation no worthy friend, no poor relation, so ready to do strangers good, forgetting his own flesh and blood,